Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. And what Jesus says is that temple is me. Right. I am the representative of God's covenant. Right. You come to me my crucified body and resurrected body. That's who you come to. That's the symbol of the repaired relationship with God. I am the symbol of God's covenant blessing for all the world. I am its new king. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing in the book of Haggai today, and we'll wrap it up. That's we right. We looked at three of the five oracles in Haggai last week, looking at God's presence, providing for his people. And this week, we're looking at the other two oracles, talking about leadership and the shaking of the nations. That's that's right. So how are you feeling today, Seth? I mean, I'm feeling... You're you like a world shaker? I'm going I'm to be a world shaker today. <laughs> Shake up the shake up the nation. Shake up my, the nation with my leadership. That's right. <laughs> this podcast took a turn. Yeah, we're a leadership podcast now. <laughs> Tom Collins. What's the, what is his name? Who? John Collins? No. From Bible Project. No. The the Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins and John <laughs> Collins. That is hilarious. Tony Robbins. That's where yeah. we're headed. Do you know I I once performed? I think on I stage did know that. Tony Robbins. I think that's the only reason I know the name yep. Tony Robbins is because you were on stage with Tony Robbins. That was an experience. I'm sure it was. Never again. That's <laughs> I mean, exactly what we're talking about today. World shaking. Okay. Um, so get get us back up, you know, it's been a week. Get me, get me back up to speed with Haggai, the uh, temple, yeah, everything like that. Where are we in time? What's on the line? So last week, we kind of retold the whole history of God's people around the temple and mm-hmm. what the temple represented. Right. So I'm kind of interested in actually retelling the whole history of God's people but from the perspective of the leaders of God's people. Okay. Because I think that would help be helpful as we go into what Haggai wants to say in the second point. Love it. So let's start in the garden this time. Okay. Like all the way back. Yes. We started um, in Exodus and then went to the garden last right. time. Yep. God has a plan for a people, mm-hmm. his people, his humanity, humanity as a category. Right. And that begins by deputizing two leaders. Adam and Eve. Yes. The a king, king and a queen. King and a queen who are meant to obey God's laws uh-huh. and through their leadership, their entire generation, their entire genealogy will experience the life and abundance of God. 
Yep. Right? They're going to be fruitful and multiply, and their little princes and princesses will have dominion over the world. Right. Bring abundance to all of creation. But when the leaders of God fail, they are removed from the experience of that life and blessing. Mm -hmm. However, God still promises that a future leader will come and undo the destruction caused by the serpent, the other counter leader. Right. So what you're saying is, I've never thought of it this way. You're saying if you view Adam and Eve as two leaders mm-hmm. and they're about to have all these children, you yes. know, then their corporate failure as leaders um, ended up cursing their mm-hmm. children that weren't yet born, but they would have been mm-hmm. in the garden. But the leader failure of Adam and Eve led to a kingdom-wide, family-wide I don't know, deportation or exile. Yeah, for like all their humanity kids, as for a category yeah. has now been no longer allowed to experience the life-giving presence of God yeah. because of the failure of its leadership. Okay, yeah. But there will be a leader who comes. Okay, but you mentioned something else too yeah, yeah. about um, Satan as a other leader, the snake as the Yeah, so we are introduced to this character of the serpent in the garden yeah. who offers another form of wisdom, another mm-hmm. way to rule themselves and to rule in the world. Different way of leadership. A different way of leadership. One, I guess, not under the th- ultimate leadership of God. Right, that's right. Be your and own leader. Be your own leader. Okay. And so he tempts them with that, and they choose that, and he... Ends up becoming their slave master. That's right. He yeah. becomes the leader of those who refuse to be led by God. Ooh, that's good. Stitch yeah, so, that on a yeah, that, that's a That's a... <laughs> Satan is the leader of those refusing to be led by God. What an interesting pillow Grandma has on her couch. Okay, but but you said there's another leader coming. Eve has promised that mm-hmm. one of her sons would crush the one who has been cursed by God, and yes. that leader will bring back God's people into His presence. Right. one day we need a new leader. We need a new leader. Okay, and so the history of Israel goes on. And we're introduced to, to a lot of new leaders. To a whole bunch of new leaders. Abraham and Moses is a pretty interesting one here. Mm. He starts not just he's not just a leader of a people or a leader of a category. He becomes the first king of an of a people, a nation. Mm. He's the king of Israel, the governor of Israel, the leader of a nation constituted by God in a covenant relationship with God. Right. A national treaty with God. God promises to be their provider, to give them safety, protection from enemies, to not just protect them in battle, but to provide for their land, provided that Moses, as a leader, mm-hmm. continues to lead his people to follow God and his commands right. and the commands of his covenant. Okay. Right? Yeah. But the leaders of God's people, Aaron and Moses, both fail those commands right. in one way or another. Yeah. God's people are lost in the wilderness as a result of their failure of leadership mm. until a new generations of leader pop up. Joshua, and he's really important for this one okay, because we have another man named Joshua. Right, the in priest. The, the high priest named Joshua. Uh-huh. Joshua is told to be strong, to be courageous, to not fear. God will provide peace for them, for all of God's people. Through his leadership. Yeah. If he's strong, if he's courageous, if he goes to battle, lets God fights on his behalf. God will give him the nation I again, see. right? Yes. However, <laughs> <laughs> they get the land, then there's some kings, and or judges first. Judges first. Their failure of leadership leads to increasing chaos. The kings come, increasing chaos. But uh, also, interesting fact, David and Solomon are both kind of the idea or the category of the leaders of God's people mm. 
being pictures of what will happen to the rest of God's people is set up really clearly. When David fails with Bathsheba, the whole kingdom falls apart. Right. And then Solomon, when he takes the throne, is told very, very explicitly that if you follow my commands, Solomon, right. the kingdom will be blessed. Yes. So there's this reinforcement of the fact that the leadership of God's people determines the fate of the nation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that project with the kings doesn't go quite quite so well. No. It doesn't. It went. It went wrong about seventy different ways. Seventy different ways. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, yeah, see what you did there. Until Jeconiah, the oh. last king of Israel. Okay. The grandfather of Zerubbabel. Okay. And one of the last things we're told about Jeconiah, or not the last thing, but what, an interesting th- mm-hmm. thing we are told about Jeconiah is found in the book of Isaiah, mm. and God removes Jeconiah like a signet ring or a sealing ring. Okay. And a signet ring is a symbol of authority. That's yep. what like kings would stamp decrees with. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. their. That was their. Um, you would go and kiss their ring as a yes. symbol of fealty. Right. It's a symbol of their royal authority. Yeah. So the history of God's people before the Babylonian exile is one of increasingly failed leadership until God says, "Fine, I would take." responsibility of following the covenant away from my people. Mm. I remove the signet ring. No longer is royal authority invested in these people. No longer will the leader be able to bring my covenant blessing. No longer will my leader be able to bring back the blessing that was once in the garden. Whoa. That's what happens when God's removing royal authority from the Davidic line in the exile. Okay. So the question then becomes like who then is right. able to lead the people of God back into a covenant relationship with him. That's exactly right. Last episode right. we talked where right. was the temple, but now who becomes yeah. the issue? In the temple episode, we talked about how the temple's where the relationship with God could be repaired. Mm-hmm. That's where the covenant was repaired. You offered a sacrifice, covenant was repaired. Similarly, a king was how the covenant was enacted. Without a king, you can't have a covenant. Mm-hmm. Covenants were made between two kings. I see. Yahweh right? the king and, and Israel's king. Yes, Moses or Joshua David or, or David or yeah. whoever okay. it is. Covenants are made between kings. That yes. would probably been helpful to say up front. But like, that's <laughs> that the, is helpful, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the idea. Covenants are made between kings. So if you don't have a king, royal authority is divested okay. from anybody in Israel's family line. That's super helpful because I was going to ask the question, like, what's the like the fixation on leadership? Yeah. I think especially for a Western individualist. Right. I'm like, how dare you seal my fate with some loser president or something? Yeah, but citizens don't make treaties with kings. kings. Foreign kings. That's right. Only kings make treaties with kings. That's right. So God the king entered a treaty with the king of Israel, Moses. Right. And from that time on, or the tr- Adam and Eve. Adam and, and Eve. Like, yep. that's, that's the way it's always been. Yep, that's the way it's always been. So if royal authority has been divested of any human, mm-hmm. how can God make a treaty with his people? How can God make a covenant with his right. people again? So Israel has no king, therefore it can have no covenant. Right, it has no temple, therefore it can have no place to repair the covenant or for God's place to dwell. So Okay, I get what's on the line. You get what's on the line. Yes. In Haggai's day, there's no king to facilitate a new covenant between God and his people. That's to right. renegotiate the terms of the covenant. Right. And so who is going to lead that right. new treaty ceremony between right. Israel and her God? That's right. Okay. So which is why it's really fascinating that Haggai opens up with a man named Joshua, one of Israel's old kings, the one that was really 
instrumental in establishing Israel in its own land for the first time. The successor of Moses. A successor of Moses. And Zerubbabel, the grandson of the last king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And, importantly, a descendant of King David. Right. God promised that he would never forsake David's covenant. Right. He would always have a son on the throne of Israel. So perhaps if God's people returned to the land, if the temples rebuilt this new Joshua and this new David, maybe mm-hmm. God would reinstate his covenant once again. Mm. We have all the pieces right. to make it happen. That's right. But what does God think about that? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd be curious <laughs> to hear what's Haggai going to say that God's thinking about all these pieces being in place. And I guess that's where we jump into the book of Haggai. Okay, so all the pieces are in place. You've got two potential new leaders to facilitate the establishment of the covenant with God once again. You've got Joshua, the high priest. You've got Zerubbabel, the son of David. But, you know, that's at least their delegation is showing up. Of course, they're not necessarily leading the people the best way when Haggai hits the scene. We talked about their failure to rebuild the temple last time. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. I think the other side is now we need God's delegation to say God has a side of the treaty too, right? Is he... Is he about to divest this authority to Joshua? Is he going to give it back to? Yeah. yeah. So he's going to allow them to be the the king, right? Okay. So I mean, I'm also sorry. I'm also just still thinking like he threw the ring away, right? Like, right. He broke up with him. Yeah. Like, did he He broke up? Yeah. Did he keep the (laughs) ring? Like, yeah. So he he threw his granddad's ring away. Is he going to give it back to Zerubbabel? I'm just these are questions I'm asking. Well, and I think that tension is the tension you're supposed to feel when you read the Bible, right? It's like God said He would never forsake his people entirely he would never right. that he did it but then he chucked the ring then yeah. He, yeah so like what does that what does that mean how long is that supposed to last right so 70 years after exile here we are okay as we said last time Haggai has two buckets of prophecy bucket number one is this critique of the failure to rebuild the temple right and the promise of God's spirit and God's presence yeah, and oracles one two and four went in that bucket yes but oracles three and five go in bucket number two Two, which is this hope of a returning leader. And so we'll talk about those. Okay, let's do it. So do we start in Oracle 3? We start in Oracle 3 in Chapter 2. Okay. In the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. So a little over a month later after he first arrives on the scene. Okay, so what, like, how long has the Temple Project been going on at this point? I mean, point? they've been, they, uh, they like started a, on a the week, 21st two, day, two yeah, the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, and this is the 21st day of the seventh oh, month. Oh, it's like a month. So a little under a month later, here's what Haggai says to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes. So that's, remember how he asked these rhetorical questions mm-hmm. to everybody else. He's kind of asking another set of rhetorical questions to the leaders of God's people. And he says, I want you leaders to ask these questions to the elders of your con- mm-hmm. uh, elders of our nation. Yeah. The ones who might've remembered the first one. And what are they going to say? This temple is as nothing. Right. You've started laying the groundwork, clearing the road to lay that first foundation stone. But you know that it's not going to be as impressive as it was before. Yeah. We don't have the resources. 
the the ground is in famine conditions, so we mm. don't even have the wood to to get here to make it as impressive. Like we know it's not going to be as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So should we keep going? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, because everybody else watching. I mean, I even remember like in in Ezra, they see during this time after like Zerubbabel makes the first push mm. on the temple. Yep. They look at it, and the old people who who lived there and saw the saw the old temple, they just cry. That's right. They just, they're like, this temple sucks compared this is, to the old one. This isn't what it used to be. And I think in Zechariah talks about this being a day of small things. Right. I remember us talking about it's that. It's like, oh, it's significant, but it's nothing like it was before. Yeah. So the question then is like, so how important is the opulence of the temple to the preservation of God's covenant? Oh, right? that's a really good question. Right. Yeah. Does it does it matter? Legitimate question. Right. Does it matter that we build a house fit? For the God of the universe, yeah, like, is it is, is the quality of the structure mm-hmm. going to affect the quality of the presence of God? Right, and I think even more narrowly, is the quality of the structure we are able to build dictate how present God will be with us to That's the right. I just don't have the resources. It's I like, can't really put together this great of a house. Right. Okay. As a leader, it's really discouraging. I can't it's do the, any better than this. It's the best thing I can do. I, this is the best that I can do. And I know it stinks. And so here's what God says to Joshua. Be strong, O Joshua. R- remember how God oh, told Joshua, the first Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's right. Yeah, for so, the Lord is with you. Be yeah. strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work because I... I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. He repeats the promise he made before. It's like, don't, like, I know it's not as impressive, but the impressiveness doesn't matter. The the impressive thing is the God of the universe is with you. I am with you according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. I'm Uh, just as present now in this ramshackle temple as I was all the way back In that ramshackle tent. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) uh, Nothing has changed. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Be strong. Mm. And courageous, yeah. fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. So yet once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Mount Sinai was described as a shaking of the heavens and oh, the earth. Oh, like okay. The, the, the mountain shook, remember? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yet once more, I will come and make a covenant with my people. Oh, so he's saying, once more... I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And usually if you take something, you shake it, something's going to fall out. That's right. So I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and I'm going to fall out. Um, Is that what he's saying? Let's keep reading. So like, just like, but just flog in your mind. In Sinai, that's called a shaking. When God came, it was a a shaking. That's called a shaking. Okay. 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 And in that time, he provided treasure from Egypt. Like, you know, right. right, right, Okay. So so just keep that in mind. And Mm -hmm. I will shake all nations. So that the treasures of all nations mm. will come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Uh. Silver is mine, gold is mine, and the latter glory of this house, the, the former glory of this house, will be um, no the latter glory. The, the, oh yeah, what the, it's going to be in the future. What it's going to be in the future will be greater mm-hmm. than what was in the past. Yep. And in this place, I will give peace, which is also the promise of Joshua. Oh right, peace, a, a land on peace, peace on every side, peace on every side declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, so don't worry about how your day of small things, mm-hmm. how ramshackled this place is going to be. Joshua and Zerubbabel, don't mm-hmm. worry about the insufficiency of your leadership to live up to what was before. Mm-hmm. On my own power, I will give everything that will make 
this place of my presence even more impressive than the last one. I see. And he's going to do it by a shaking. By a shaking. I will shake the nations. And two things happen when he shakes the nation. Mm-hmm. One is that the nations bring their wealth to mm-hmm. the temple. And the yep. other thing is that his glory fills it. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. So shaking happens. The temple is beautified and God fills that temple. That's right. Okay. 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 Why a shaking? What's going on here? There's just, I mean, that's the way, as I said, like that's the way God appears on Mount Sinai. Yeah. So when God appears somewhere, the earth shakes. Yeah. Like that's kind of like common language throughout scripture to describe what the earth does when God comes near it. I see. Especially when he's coming near it to either judge evil Mm -hmm. or to do something significant on behalf of his people. The earth shook when he made a covenant with his people and made them his nation for the first time. The earth also shakes when he comes and destroys nations who oppose God's people as well. So the shaking is the presence of God. Yes. Yeah, it's the it's the physical reaction of the world right. to the presence of God. Okay, that's helpful because it's tying in what we talked about last week, that God's presence is provision mm-hmm. for Israel, mm-hmm. but it's also a shaking of the nations. Yes. I like I read I listened to one commentator it just said like he's rattling the nations until all their change. I was picturing <laughs> yeah. I was picturing a bully holding yeah, yeah. Like, his leg is upside down and shaking him. I was like that's probably not a great way to view God. I don't think that's what he's saying here, but But what's interesting too, mm-hmm. I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. Mm-hmm. The treasures could also be translated like precious things, mm. which is exactly what the nations stole from Israel when they robbed the temple and burned it down. Uh, they took all of the precious things oh, out of God's temple. That's another interesting thing is like, who cares how beautiful the house is, we right? Have, we don't have all of our treasure back. All right. the treasure that we had in it that made it special is gone. He's like, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. I'm going to shake it out. Right. Okay, cool. Cool. So, so this one's primarily addressed to Joshua, but everybody's included in this one. So just keep in mind, Joshua, this new Joshua will be part of this new conquest like his old predecessor will, yeah. where the nations will be shaken, all the treasure that was stolen will be returned, God's presence will fall once again, and the land will be at peace. Okay. Okay. That's a big promise. It's a big promise. So let's jump forward to the final oracle, oracle the number final five. final oracle. And this one's directed specifically to Zerubbabel, the grandson of Jehoiakim, the descendant of David, Jehoiakim being the last king of Israel. Okay. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. Same thing. Okay. And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. The throne, singular, of kingdoms, plural? That is a... That's a weird one. I did not get... I did not pick that up when I read it, actually. That is odd. I mean, just a stab in the dark. You did mention that there was a Uh, ruler over all the other people named the snake earlier. Yes. I'm just like, I mean, oh, maybe there's the prince of the there's, power of the air. There's a, there's a, a, a more metaphysical power yeah, being anyway. applied here. Anyway, there's probably something. And I'm about there. to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders shall all go down. Everyone by the sword of his brother, which is interesting mm. because on this day when God shakes the earth and the heavens, the battle will happen by friendly fire on the other right. side, yeah. which is a way that God gives Israel victory right. throughout its history. Yep. Enemies just start fighting each other, and Israel walks out of their tents, and oh, I won. guess the land is ours now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, and make you like a signet ring. I will give you that royal authority back. I have chosen you, declares 
the Lord of Hosts. His granddad's ring is coming back. Yes. Ah. Uh, and I think this is <laughs> what I kept thinking of was uh, why does Zerubbabel need this encouragement? Mm. <laughs> I just kept thinking of that scene in Lord of the Rings where Aragorn goes to the blades of Narsil. Oh, right. The, the blade that, that cut the ring off Sauron's hand yes. and then was shattered into pieces. Right. And then his grandfather or his, right. his, his forefather. Whatever. Yeah picks up the ring and has the opportunity to throw it into the fire of Mount Doom. And destroy it forever. But he doesn't. Right. And then as he's looking at this, this he's also trying to remember his call to be a king. He's right. remembering the fact that he's a leader of a kingdom, yeah. but he hasn't taken up that mantle yet. Of Numenor. Yeah, and then he says, the blood of Isildur still runs in my veins. Oh, right. The blood of Jehoiakim still runs in the veins of Zerubbabel. Like, Am I, I going to m commit the sins of my grandfather right, and yeah, be cast I, out too? I, so I was just one. Like, I don't have that information here, right. but I was like, I could totally see why this would be an encouraging prophecy. I'm going to give to you, right. or why it would be a terrifying prophecy. I'm going to give to you mm. what was taken from your grandfather. But his blood still runs in my veins. Right. Anyway, I was just... Yeah. A little bit of Lord of the Rings in my mind. Hey, anything for an LTR, <laughs> you know, yeah. anything. So, yeah. But the covenant is going to be restored when God shakes the nations mm -hmm. and puts the ring of authority back on Israel's finger. And what's fascinating here is that you have the shaking of the nations, that promise given to a priest, and that promise given to a king as well. Yeah. Normally, the shaking of the nations and the destruction of enemies is the purview of a king. Yep. But we have the shaking of the nations and the plunder of those nations going to the temple to rebuilding it, right? Yes. What I think this means is that Haggai wanted us to see that when God's kingdom comes mm -hmm. fully and finally, Joshua's hopes for a restored temple and Zerubbabel's hopes for a restored kingdom would be combined in a single shaking of the earth. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. If you read the book of Zechariah, yep. the figures of Joshua and Zerubbabel are mentioned again, and they're combined into one again. Yep, that's right. So as the prophetic literature unfolds, it almost seems like the prophets are looking forward into the future and seeing Joshua and Zerubbabel as two people, two figures that become one yeah. in the future. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Anyway, yeah. It's like you you've always had this dichotomy, and you've always had failure. So you had Moses and you had Aaron. You yep. had a king and a priest, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they failed, right? Yes. You had David and he had priests, yep. and it failed, right? Mm -hmm. You always had yep. the king on the throne and yep. the priest in the temple, mm -hmm. and for some reason those two things just right. never really got off the ground. And some people even say the reason we even have prophetic literature at all is because of the failure of God's priests to faithfully teach the covenant in the first place. Right. So you have Joshua here being given all the authority and hopes and expectations of somebody like Aaron would have been yes. all the way back in the day. Almost as if Haggai's prophesied the end of his own ministry because we have a new Joshua. We right. have a new high priest who can do what he's supposed to do. Mm, yeah. There's this where the, a role that was separate, mm -hmm. a king on the throne and a priest in the temple, and that's always failed historically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going, there's going to be a, conflagration of those two yeah. things on a single shaking on and a single it, day yeah, of it's shaking going to be surrounded by or consummated by mm -hmm. a single day of shaking and a, a new ring of the covenant yeah uh there's a and an adornment of the temple and the presence of god yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah. the destruction of enemies <laughs> yeah maybe another way to say it 
there's a, a day of shaking in the future coming uh-huh. where a new Joshua will reside over a temple more glorious than any that has come before. Yes. And a new royal authority will be given to a son of David uh-huh. to rule a kingdom of peace. Like, like okay. that's what happens in the next... That's what Haggai yep. says will happen when all these dominoes lined up. Okay. Zerubbabel and Joshua represent a final temple. Yeah. And a final Davidic king and a final peace for God's people. And that's how the book of Haggai ends. That's how the book of Haggai ends. Right there. I'll give you this ring. All right. So how does all of this get us to Jesus? Because... We talked about, I think it's interesting, we talked about, you know, this delegation from Persia coming down, and there's the priest, and there's the king, and they have the materials for the tabernacle, and there's been this commission from an old king that they've been freed from, like the Exodus story, and everything is there for, you know, the rule and covenant of God to come back again. I just feel like that is how we're poised at the end of Haggai leaning into the new testament it's like that's right man all the pieces are here this right. is like a priest who's a king who's the temple who brings god's presence i mean yeah and i think the reason we need to lean forward in the new testament is because of this unanswered question in my head it's like so did zerubbabel and joshua do it were they the people because haggai doesn't like qualify it the way that we've been qualifying it haggai just says joshua will experience this zerubbabel will experience this yep but history tells us that, that they, they didn't. Right. Right? Yes. They, the temple was rebuilt. Yeah. But sooner or later, Persia got overtaken by Greece, and Greece got taken over by Rome. Mm-hmm. And that's when Jesus shows up. Right. So, like, the hopes invested, the royal authority given to Zerubbabel, the hope of a, a, a glorious temple given to Joshua, don't pan out within their lifetimes. Right. Right? And you have, what's interesting, you have an interesting, ironic reversal of the promise where you had a gorgeous temple mm-hmm. in the Herodian temple. When Jesus would have been alive. When Jesus was alive. But, it, and it came maybe from some of the pockets of Rome, mm-hmm. but also from the heavy taxation on the people of God themselves. That's right. And so who's, whose pockets are getting overturned and shaken out? Is it, mm. is it the conquest of the nations? Not really. Right. It's God's own people are getting shaken down by their own corrupt rulers by their own corrupt rulers. So it's like, man, this is not what we thought this would look like. Yes. And so Jesus hits the scene. Right. And And where do we need to go here? I mean, I think a really basic thing, which the Bible's already primed us to see is to understand that Jesus is a new Joshua. Right. So we had a Joshua who was strong and courageous, who conquered a land. We have a Joshua in Haggai who was promised the restoration of a more glorious temple. And we have a Joshua in, in Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. It's the same name. It's the same name. Just yep. different pronunciations for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why. Do you know why people stopped saying Joshua? Joshua? I, I like Because Yeshua right. is the is the name. And right. I, I don't know why. I don't uh, it's know like, why. why do we start saying Jesus rather than yeah. Joshua? I mean, anyway. It's a weird one. It's a weird one. So we have just another man named Joshua. Right who comes on the scene, yeah. right? Yeah. And we also know that he is a son of David, right? heir of David. A and, new Zerubbabel uh, whose name Joshua. Who, right. That's so, weird. Yeah. Right. He's 
are the promises of Haggai being fulfilled in one person? Right. Is Jesus going to be the one to shake the nations? Is mm-hmm. he going to be the one to restore the temple to its former glory? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what happens then when Jesus comes to the temple? Mm-hmm. He does a shaking? He does a shaking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because the temple has not the place of worship of God anymore. Mm. It's become something other than that. It's been the place of fleecing the people. It's become a symbol of corrupt leadership, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, so you have this like Mount Sinai moment mm-hmm. where God comes down again right. and it's a shaking. And so he's shaking the kings of the leaders of Israel, mm-hmm. the King Herod and the kings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of Israel. Yep. He comes and shakes this nation and he does that first by whipping people and kicking people out of the temple and turning over tables. He literally shakes tables and disrupts worship in that place. And then he prophesies and says, not one stone will be left on top of this thing. Mm -hmm. And then he makes an odd prophecy about in three days, I will raise a new temple Mm -hmm. back up again. Right. That's what happens when Jesus comes to the temple of Israel. Yeah. So all this time, Israel has been looking for a new leader, Mm -hmm. a new king, Mm-hmm. to facilitate a new covenant yep. with God again, mm-hmm. and that would take place inside a new temple that outshone the glory of the former one. Yeah. And Jesus is doing that somehow mm-hmm. by tearing down the very temple that Zerubbabel and Haggai were tasked to build. Yeah, maybe it's helpful to go back to our previous podcast in um, Haggai and remember that when the priest and God's people first came back to the nation. They built just an altar. Mm -hmm. And it was this altar that kind of symbolized just religious performance, doing in their own effort what they presumed was what God wanted, but failed to have the right relationship with God, right? Religion without relationship, yeah. Yeah. Haggai critiqued that Mm -hmm. and taught God's people and God's priest how to have a right relationship with the covenant and with his presence and with the temple. Yeah. The other hope is that leaders of God's people, Joshua, Zerubbabel, would enshrine those values for future generations, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen. Right. Instead, God's people falls into the same pattern they did before, but this time they have more money. (laughs) Uh, So the temple becomes just religious ritual again. Yeah, it's it, I mean there's more than an altar there, but that's really the only function. But that's it serves to line the pockets of the corrupt leaders of Israel. Right. There's a new failure of leadership. Yes. Israel is in some ways better off than they were right after the exile, but yeah. in some ways worse. They're being preyed upon by the leaders. Uh-huh. They would hope to trust in a situation that looks most like what they hope for. Right. Right? And so once again, God sends a leader to Israel to destroy the temple. To destroy the temple. Uh-huh. And that's, but that's Jesus but this that's time. that's Jesus this time. Yes. And what he's going to do, he's going to say, okay, if you're going to continue to have the wrong relationship with this temple and continue to confuse the presence and existence of a temple mm-hmm. with a real relationship with me, the God of the covenant, yep. I'm going to tear it down. Right. No temple will exist anymore. Right. Which would mean no hope. Which would mean no hope right. unless right. the temple was going to look different than it did before. And yeah. what Jesus says is, that temple is me. Right. I am the representative of God's covenant. Right. You come to me, my crucified body and resurrected body. That's who you come to. That's the symbol of the repaired relationship with God. I am the symbol of God's covenant blessing for all the world. I am its new king. Right. And yeah. that's the that's the other thing. So he's not only the temple where the covenant can be restored, right? He's also the king 
that we've been given that can actually be the delegation between us I, and God that's right, that's right. to restore the covenant. That's right. That's but right. But what's amazing is that he's not an earthly king going to a heavenly king, you know, making some kind of deal. Mm-hmm. He is God himself making a deal with God himself. Mm. How unbreakable is that covenant? Right. <laughs> like, right. 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 Yes. And if Jesus is given that ring. Mm-hmm it can never be taken off because that ring is now on God's own finger. Yes. That's amazing. It's, I mean, that is, that is the kind of unbreakable covenant because it's between God and God. Right. I haven't thought about the way that the reason Jesus's covenant that he makes is better Mm -hmm. is because it's between a divine King and a divine King. Right. And then that has to be unbreakable. Yes. Or more, far more binding than any of the other ones. And, based on better promises <laughs> yeah right that's what I mean, hebrews is. Well. i mean I'm, i mean there's other leaning into hebrews there is he calls jesus the priest mm-hmm. right he's, he's our new that's high right. priest like that's joshua right. that's right but he's from the order of melchizedek which uh, is an order without a beginning it's an eternal right. so he's an eternal mm-hmm. king in the line of david and he's an eternal priest in the line of melchizedek so mm-hmm. he can eternally facilitate the covenant and yeah. intercede for the sins of god's people at the right hand of god yes. from divinity to divinity forever and ever amen <laughs> So cool. That's pretty cool. Um, So let's go back to the shaking of the nations. So what's interesting is I was scouring my New Testament for references of Jesus's resurrection or his death to be described as a shaking. Yeah. And I couldn't find any. Okay. But what I did find was in Matthew 24, Uh when Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple, he describes it like a shaking. That's right. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Stars will fall. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Yep. And then the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Um, That's so interesting then. So the shaking that Haggai is prophesying is actually the destruction of the temple that they're about to build. Yeah. And so he, he he's like, and so that means then that the wealth of, the, of kings mm-hmm. is Jesus himself in a sense. Because he says... I will do a shaking, mm-hmm. the temple's destroyed, and then I will come. God will come and mm-hmm. manifest himself. Well, who is there, you know? And God's glory will fall. And right. if that temple's built, who's left right. to replace that temple? <laughs> Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and the people of God who build brick by brick with him in the Interesting. New of God. So that's the first time the shaking is described when this dis- the, oh, the, the, yes. the temple's actually destroyed. And the second time is in the probably the most helpful time mm. is in the book of Hebrews okay. where it quotes directly from Haggai. Oh, sweet. So we've got a divine author yep. explaining what this text means to us. And so here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 12:25 through 29. See that you do not refuse the God who speaks to you. Uh, for if the people in the old covenant, people from Mount Sinai did not escape when they refused to listen to God, how shall we escape if he speaks from heaven in all royal authority right now? Mm. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one whose voice has shaken the earth. But now God has promised us saying this, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. That's right. Haggai 2.6, the one he made to Joshua. Yet once more, the author of Hebrews says, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, mm. which means everything that has been made leaving only the things which cannot be shaken Hmm. therefore we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken ah 
let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Whoa. So, really interesting take on what Haggai is saying. Yeah. Haggai imagined a day where all the nations would be shaken and God's glory comes into the temple. All the wealth of the nation rebuilds God's temple into this this glorious, amazing, yeah. amazing thing where all the chariots are destroyed because mm-hmm. they're all fighting with each other. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, he's like, what that really is referring to is what God will do on the last day. Mm-hmm. Over the course of human history, he will shake and shake and shake and shake until there's a final shaking mm. where the, only the things that are immovable will remain. Yeah. And what will be immovable? Only the things that are from God. Right. All God's gold. Yeah. All God's silver. Yeah. God's true temple, Jesus. Right. His true covenant people. Yeah. That's all that will be left on that day. No enemy nations, mm. only peace. Right. Because everything else will be shaken off. Because everything else will be shaken off. That's cool. So Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom where he is the king mm-hmm. and he's going to make us unshakable. Yes. So we're not the ones who shake the nations. No. <laughs> uh, no, we, we are not. We are not. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Sorry, sorry, every sorry, youth conference that we teased at the end of last episode. It is Jesus is the shaker of the nations, mm-hmm. and to not be shaken out of it, all you have to do is join his kingdom. Yeah. That's cool. And I think there's something interesting, too, about the final world that God creates. Mm-hmm. The final thing that the final king creates can't be lost. Mm. Adam and Eve probably had the per- a pretty perfect world, you would think. Right. But it was lost, mm. which means it couldn't have been perfect. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, the garden's never, we're never told the garden's perfect. Right. We're just told it's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, but it was shake, there was something in it that was shakable. Yes. Yeah. But one day, there will be something better than the Garden of Eden. Wow. That will never be taken. Yeah. Will never be shaken. Mm. And that's when Jesus returns. Bring that on. <laughs> yeah. That I want that. Awesome. So that's what Haggai was looking forward that's to. That's what Haggai was looking forward to. That's what to. Jesus accomplished as the priest king mm-hmm. who shakes the nations. Yeah, and that's weirdly what the destruction of the temple accomplished, like, prefigures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the shaking of the heavens is, like, explicitly tied to that moment of Mm -hmm. history. So when the physical temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, it prophesies the rebuilding of an unshakable kingdom. Right, yeah. That's good news. Well... That's Haggai. That's Haggai. Two long episodes on one short book. <laughs> You're welcome, <laughs> You're world. Welcome, world. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been awesome, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.